0: This is... Look at the air, look at the hang time, look at the fly... Huh? We're talking about practice. Trash. It's about wins and losses. Talk with your host, Troy Abbott. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of Hoop Trash Talk. Um, if you want to get contact us, you can get us on Twitter at Hoop Trash Talk or by email at mailbag at hooptrashtalk.com. Now, sorry, it's... Been a while between podcasts. I've just been really busy uh, with writing and revamping the website, so I didn't get a chance to do an Eastern Conference preseason breakdown. But I'm slowly getting things together, so you should see more podcasts coming out over the next couple of weeks. Um, I've also made a submission on iTunes, so hopefully, you'll be able to get the podcast on there as well in a couple of weeks. Now, I know I've missed a, a few um, big NBA stories in the last couple of weeks, but I thought I'd begin this podcast talking a bit about the Lakers. Um, They really haven't seemed to found their identity yet um, with that Mike D'Antoni system. I know a lot of people are saying it's because Nash is still out, uh, but the Lakers did still seem to manage fine for the last five years without a real true point guard. Um, I think the main reason for their struggles have just been atrocious defensively, um, which is strange considering they have arguably the best defensive centre in the world guarding the rim. Yeah, I know um, Dan Tony's system is all about fast pace, but it's still no excuse to not give any effort on the defensive end. Um, so even when they get Nash back, they're not going to be any better defensively. And um, I think they're going to have to look at bringing in a, a defensive-minded assistant coach. I know there's been some talk about Nick, Nate McMillan's name being thrown around a bit. Um, and I think he'd be a good fit in there when all he has to do is focus on defense and he can just leave the player management um, to Mike D'Antoni. We all know the Lakers are going to be fine and um, we'll probably grab a fourth or fifth seat by the end of the season. Um, but whether they can overcome the other powerhouses in the West um, in the finals this year with the system that Mike D'Antoni set up is going to be a real question. And um, I think on the minds of a lot of Lakers fans. I wanted to talk a little bit today about the Charlotte Bobcats after they got a real drubbing in Oklahoma City the other night. I know Twitter went crazy saying things like this is the real Bobcats team we expect to see this season and that the beginning of their season was just sort of an anomaly. While it might be partly true, you cannot deny that the Bobcats have been quite remarkable to start the season. Keba Walker seems to be developing into a very handy point guard. And we're seeing not only great play, but also clutch plays down the stretch, which we all knew he could do um, after we saw it from him in college. Um, The number two draft pick, Michael Gilchrist, is also showing glimpses of the player he could develop into you. Um, I think comparisons to Gerald Wallace kind of player is pretty accurate. He doesn't look that polished offensively, but he just brings so many intangibles that are hard to find in the NBA. And finding good wing defenders in the NBA is like finding gold. But I think the main reason behind their success early in this season is got to be due to the play of Ramon Sessions and Ben Gordon off the bench. The simple fact that the guys of these calibre are happy to come off the bench and contribute the way they do um, does demonstrate um, a really sound team environment with everyone just looking to do what is best for the team. Which is actually really hard to find in NBA players these days with a lot of guys, especially on poor teams, just looking to get their own numbers up and, and get bigger contracts. So their start to the season may have just been an anomaly or they might have just caught a few teams off guard. But I don't think you get a record of 7-5 and five in the NBA without at least having a half-decent team. And I think we'll see a few more wins for the Bobcats before the season's out. And yesterday was just one of those bad games that every team is going to experience at least once this season. thought I'd move on to what was touted the Battle of the Burrows in Brooklyn the other day. Definitely one of the best games I've watched this season. The atmosphere um, in Brooklyn was just insane. And apparently it was a Brooklyn home game. But from what you heard from the crowd, you couldn't have guessed it. Whether it was just a 50-50 split of fans or whether the Knicks fans were just louder, the atmosphere in the building resembled a college game or even a finals matchup at times. Getting to the game itself, I think it gave us everything we expected and could have wanted from this sort of game. Many, including myself, thought the Knicks would be a little too strong with the kind of defense they've been playing to start the season, even though it seemed to tail off during the Dallas Road trip. I think they made a strange decision with Jason Kidd out to move Kurt Thomas into the starting lineup and move Carmelo back to the three. Now, I didn't really think this was a great decision as Melo went from having um, Chris Humphreys, who's not a real noted defender, to having Gerald Wallace on him, who is probably one of the better wing defenders in the NBA, on him now. I mean, he still got his as he always does, but I think the move made him work a lot harder to get the points than he would have needed to if he had started at the four. I actually think that could be the main reason for his increased defensive commitment this year. The fact that he doesn't have to expend so much energy on offense uh, means he can save his energy and expend more on defense. In the game itself, the Nets were extremely impressive. Uh, Gerald Wallace played his first decent game of the season and Daryl Williams was just calling the shots out there and there was nothing the Knicks could do about it. When it came to the Knicks, I th- think we saw how much of a difference maker Tyson Chandler is. In big games, he was so active and super effective in the pick and roll with Raymond Felton. I think their struggles in this game came from the bench. J.R. Smith seems to have reverted back to the old J.R. Smith we all know so well. I think this was demonstrated by his pull-up three-pointer when he had a clear lane to the basket on the fast break. Um, That play was just ridiculous. And I think if any other player did that, they'd be benched straight away for the rest of the game. But the fact remains for the Knicks that if he's not scoring, they're really lacking in second options coming off the bench. I think the Nets bench, while not overly effective in scoring department, really impacted the game with their defense. Reggie Evans was just the most scrappy player I've ever seen and got Brooklyn so many more possessions with his energy and offensive rebounds. I thought it was funny that Avery Johnson pulled Andre Blatch after he shot an air ball on a second iso possession, which he had about three shot fakes. But he did seem to respond to that, and made some good contributions in the second half. I think the game could have gone either way in the final two minutes, with the Knicks looking seemingly in control, before um, some big shots and great plays by Brooklyn that forced it into overtime. Um, On that final play, I'm really not a fan of the Carmelo-Anthony iso at the top of the three-point line. line. I mean, by all means, give him the ball, but run something for him in the low post or that 10 to 15 foot sort of area Um, so he can get a higher percentage shot rather than just a pull-up three-pointer. In overtime, I think the Knicks just really struggled to move the ball Um, and Melo wasn't as effective as he was just worn out from having to work so hard to get his points all night. But full credit to Brooklyn, though. They definitely have turned this franchise around and I think they will definitely be a force in the East this year. Next, I thought I'd give my take on the Boston-Brooklyn brawl in Boston. Uh, I know we don't condone violence at sport, but when we do see it, it is quite a spectacle. And if it happens in basketball, it's definitely going to be talked about a lot. It's come out that Rondo will be the only one suspended for two games, which I think was a little lenient, considering that Garnett and Wallace probably had the biggest thou shatter of the lot. Um, the play itself looked pretty harmless. Humphrey's barely fouled Garlanet, who either flopped or just fell really awkwardly. I think Rondo's reaction was more out of the frustration the way the game was going and sticking up for Garnett was just an excuse to let it out. The way it escalated, though, was um, a little unusual. There's usually just a little bit of a push and shove after hard plays like that, but the fact that it spilled into the stands and got really physical, I think is why the league had to react like it did. I think the bigger altercation between Wallace and Garnett was due to the fact that Wallace knew Garnett wanted to get in there and do some damage as he always does when stuff like that happens. Um, and I think his first intent was just to get Garnett out of there, but when Gunnet hit him in the head like he did, he just, he's just reacted and, you know, done the same sort of play back to him. Um, the league had to suspend Rondo. You just can't let those sort of acts go unpunished, especially when it fills into the stands and it affects the patrons. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though, how Boston respond with Rondo out, but I actually think it will motivate them, and I don't think I'll be surprised at all if they win both games when he's out. I just wanted to touch on a bit on um, James Harden's return to OKC. Uh, the game itself was a little bit of an anti-climax. OKC were obviously the better team um, and had the added incentive of giving Harden the, you know, look, what look, we're fine without you, sort of return to the city. I think the occasion got to Harden a bit as well, Um really struggling in the first half. He ended up with um, 17 points on 16 shots with the majority of those points coming at the free throw line. I think that the main knock on Harden is that he doesn't really show up in those big moments where you expect him to. Um, we saw that last year in the finals where he sort of disappeared um, and again in this game. But we've seen it before with guys like the LeBron and Harden is still very young. So I'm sure he'll figure it out just as LeBron James seems to have. Um, but, but the fact remains he wasn't really supported by any of his teammates either. Um, Patrick Patterson had a nice game, um, but he really needed su- some um, support from his front court, especially Jeremy Lynn, um, who went missing for yet another game. Okay, so they just played great. Um, Durant finished with 37. I think we sort of got a glimpse of what we're going to see from him in the postseason, um, showing how they play when they have motivation, and especially the energy of that crowd behind them. Moving on to uh, next week's games, I think the two big games to look out for are the Knicks at Miami and the Lakers at OKC. I'll be really interested to see um, the Knicks at Miami game after the Knicks gave Miami a toweling in their home opener in New York. Well, I don't think the Knicks will shoot that well from the three-point line again. I don't think it'll be a danger matchup for the Heat if they continue to lack intensity on the defensive end. Um, they really need to concentrate on shutting down the next shooters. Um, and even if they let Carmelio get his, it's better than letting their shooters get confidence and lose the game that way. On offense, they just have to keep doing what they've been doing this season. They've been moving the ball so well and getting everyone involved. Uh, for the Knicks on the defensive end, they really have to contain LeBron and Wade as much as they can. But I think the key to shutting down the Heat is not letting Chris Bosch get his confidence, um, especially shooting from the outside. It seems when his outside shot isn't going, he seems to go into his shell a bit offensively. Uh, that really impacts the way the Heat move the ball. Offensively for the Knicks, they really need to have fast ball movement to force the Heat to have to continually make those defensive rotations. And once they do, just look for the best open shot they can that presents itself. In the Lakers' OKC game, I think it's going to be a real statement game for both teams. Um, obviously the Lakers are going to be better if Steve Nash is back, but if he's um, not, they're really going to have to concentrate on the defensive end of the floor and make sure guys like Duran Westbrook can't get out in transition. In the half-court, Artest should be able to contain Durant well enough in the post. The worry for the Lakers is whether they can um, keep him from coming off those baseline and, and up screens um, and getting those open shots. Russell Westbrook should also have a sizable advantage out there, especially if they are forced to give Chris Duhon minutes off the bench. I still think you have to give him his jump shot, but the growth in Russell Westbrook this year seems to be his passing ability. It seems rather than using the space teams are giving him to take shots, he's using it um, to make good passes and get his teammates better opportunities um, and then picking his spots to attack as well. The Lakers' advantage in this game is going to be in the backcourt. Um, Dwight and Power have sizable skill advantages over Barker and Perkins. The Lakers really need to work on moving the ball inside out and um, especially look for the high pick and roll with um, Kobe and Powell Um, and then that high-low pass to Dwight underneath. If the big guys for the Lakers turn up, they could really get the OKC big man in in foul trouble really quickly and they don't really have the um, big man depth there to deal with them continually. Uh, I still think the Lakers are figuring things out, and um, Dwight is nowhere near 100% yet, especially defensively. So I think it'll be a tough ask for them to get up in this game, but you just never know with the Lakers this season. Because I didn't get to do them on the Eastern Conference Breakdown podcast, I think this week I'll give you my thoughts on the uh, Most Improved Player, Coach of the Year, and the big one, the MVP award, uh, this year. Um, my thoughts on these awards change almost week to week, and we still have to update the website. But uh, I think the most improved player could go to a number of players. At the moment, Drew Holiday looks like he's the runaway favourite. Um, moving into the starting lineup has done wonders for not only his career, but the Sixers as well. Um, we're seeing him develop into more of a well-rounded player with his um, dramatic increase in his assist numbers, probably the most impressive feat this year. Uh, there are so many other guys that um, could you know, take his spot in this award. I think Paul George has been playing well. Goran Dragic has been amazing on that um, Suns team. And even his teammate Evan Turner has sort of hit a rich fame of form in the last couple of weeks. And they could all be candidates for the award as well. My pick for coach of the year at this stage has to go to Mike Woodson. Um, the change he made to the Knicks in the brief period he's taken over has been quite amazing. Uh, not only has he changed the defensive philosophy of the organisation, but more credit has to go to the way he's changed the defensive philosophy of his um, star player Carmelo Anthony. Whether it's just the system he's put in place, benefiting Carmelo, or whether Woodson has just found some way to motivate him on the defensive end, um, who knows. But um, it's certainly exciting for the Knicks fans. Um, I think some no- other notable candidates for the award, could out to Scott Skiles with the Bucks, if, if they can maintain the sort of form they've been playing with early in the season. And guys like Pop and Thibodeau are always going to be in the conversation for this award. No surprises when it comes to the MVP favourite. Um, no one looks even close to toppling LeBron yet again this year. And after grabbing his first championship, his confidence has, just seemed to have skyrocketed. I thought maybe Durant had a chance early in the season, he was starting to make a more concerted effort um, to increase his rebounding rate and assist numbers, um, but as good as he is, he's just not quite the all around package that LeBron is, and um, unless someone does something dramatic in the rest of the season, I expect him to win the world, hands down again. So that will just about do us for today, um, remember to follow us on Twitter or Facebook to keep up with all that's happening on Hoop Trash Talk, um, if you have any thoughts or queries be sure to get us on the email. Um, There's also some great articles um, on the website. Be sure to check out our daily tips as well. Um, I'll hopefully talk to you guys again next week. So thanks for listening.